Last week we looked at who gathers, what is the church. This morning it's why gather. Again, what if I don't feel like going to church? Uh, we're going to get to Hebrews chapter 10 eventually here. Uh, it'll take me a few minutes to get there because you'll see. I'm just going to talk through some things with you that I hope help prepare us for getting to Hebrews chapter 10. But if you want to flip ahead, you're welcome to do that. Kyle pretty much stopped going to church a few years ago. But Kyle, this marriage and family therapist, has hardly abandoned his Christian faith or his deep longing to share it with others and experience God's love within a community of believers. So Kyle says, Kyle, who's in his late 20s, has simply found that what he calls the, quote, Sunday morning experience, that is the traditional institutions of Christianity, that no longer works for him. Kyle, who was raised in a fundamentalist Baptist home, then actually pursued a life in full-time ministry, and still maintains his mostly conservative evangelical faith, says that among his reasons for discontinuing church participation, he says, you know, the places where I had seen God move the most were in places like on a river while fly fishing, or backpacking with a group of teens, or sitting at a pub with a group of guys from the UK and South Africa talking about life. I read Kyle's story this week in, a, in an article in a national religious publication, and the title of that article was, Why These Americans Are Done With Church But Not With God. And this article asserts that an estimated 30 million Americans, like Kyle, are former churchgoers who nevertheless claim to keep faith in God. So what do we make of stories like that? Maybe you've been Kyle. Maybe you're considering becoming a Kyle, right? Maybe you know people who are like Kyle in that regard. What do, you, what do we do? What do we make of stories like that? Is it possible to be a faithful Christian and not go to church? Or is it possible to be a faithful Christian and not go very frequently? Well, what does Scripture tell us? Why do we gather together on a Sunday morning anyway? Is that just something that we've kind of grown into doing? Is it something that the church throughout history is, 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 is leading us to do? Or is it just, I don't know, some American model? Why do we do this? Let me give you the short answer, and then I'll get into a longer answer as we go forward. Here's the short answer. We gather together on Sunday mornings because that is exactly what the church has done since the beginning. Since the New Testament church was birthed, Sunday morning gathering is essential to what they have done week in and week out for 2,000 years now. Acts chapter 20, verse 7, we see an example of the New Testament church, and it says, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with us intending to depart on the next day and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Some of you go, oh man, I can relate to that. The pastor's speaking forever, right? What do we see there though in Acts chapter 20 in this new New Testament church? Again, they're gathering on Sunday mornings. 
They're there to break bread together. They're there to take communion together as a body. And they're hearing a sermon from Paul, their pastor. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, it says, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come to you. Paul is instructing the church, when you gather, as you are doing, on the first day of the week. So we see the Corinthian church is doing the same thing. And we see there that they're giving as a part of their gathering. And if we read through 1 Corinthians, and if you were here a year ago when we went through 1 Corinthians, you'll see that there was lots of things that they were doing that were mentioned in 1 Corinthians on those Sunday gatherings, including hearing from teachers, praying together, taking communion together, giving, right? And of course, Hebrews chapter 10, which Jermaine read for us a little earlier, one of the great uh, encouragements for us as Christians, says, and let us consider how to stir one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What's the writer of Hebrews saying? We got to stay connected to the gathering as the church. Some people are in the habit of not doing that. So 2,000 years ago, that was true. It's still true today, but the scriptures are clear. We need to gather. Don't neglect it. We gather together as believers, particularly for corporate worship on Sunday, which in scripture is also called the Lord's Day in the New Testament. We gather together because we're commanded by Scripture to do so. And we do this because as the church throughout the world and throughout history has known and believed, corporate worship on the Lord's Day is fundamental to our calling. Corporate worship on the Lord's Day is fundamental to our spiritual health because the assembly of the whole body in which our spiritual gifts and mutual encouragements are employed matters. The leadership and instruction of biblical elders and gifted teachers of God's word matters. The right and regular observance of the ordinances, which are corporate, communion, and baptism, they matter. The singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another matters. And corporate prayer matters. Despite modern attempts to diminish the institution of the church, and there are many, there are lots of, of calls to deconstruct this thing, right? To be like Kyle and just say, why can't we just go fishing and talk about God and find God in nature? Why, why this, this formal thing of gathering together? What's the church for? Despite these calls to dismiss all of that, the Bible is clear that the weekly corporate worship of the church is fundamental to our identity as followers of Jesus Christ. That's the short answer. Because we're commanded to. Because we're instructed that this is fundamental to who we are. That's the short answer. And it's sort of one of those because I told you so answers, right? Which we don't always like so much as a culture. What if I just don't feel like it? What if I just don't feel like it? Can we just be honest for a minute? Sometimes we just don't feel like it, right? There's lots of different reasons why we don't necessarily feel like it, but we're in this sort of 
cultural moment where, hey, man, when I don't feel like it, I don't do it, right? Because we think our feelings are sort of primary. I just don't feel like it. And the thing is, I get it because sometimes I don't feel like it either. Problem for me is that I'm usually supposed to stand up here and teach, and you guys actually support my family. You pay me to be up here, so it's kind of harder for me to just sort of dial it in and say, I'm not going today. But I relate. Sometimes we don't feel like it. But why? What I want to do for the next few minutes, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this because we're not yet into Hebrews 10. I think Hebrews 10 will address this for us. But it's just how to help us diagnose some of those reasons why we just sometimes don't feel like it. All right? And I, and I want to uh, start by saying that there are, there's one set of reasons why we may not feel like going to church that is unavoidable. And this is not what I'm ultimately addressing here today. Those are physical reasons. Okay? So physical reasons, I might not feel like going to church because I feel sick. I feel ill. And for the rest of us, we would say to you, please stay home, right? That's okay. That's an unavoidable reason. Or I may have some debilitating disease, or I may have some chronic pain that legitimately prevents me from leaving my house. Sometimes those things are temporary. Sometimes those things are permanent. But in either case, those things are unavoidable and they're understandable. All right? So please don't, if that's you, and I'm, maybe I should talk to the camera, those of you who are watching on the live stream, if that's you, uh, what we should and can say to you is we're praying for your healing. And we should say that, and we should do that, church, right? Or we should be saying to you, how can we minister you, to you right now in your time of need? We need to do both of those things. Those are unavoidable reasons. So I'm not addressing that. What I am addressing this morning are reasons that I want to examine that have more to do with feelings that are emotional rather than physical. How can we avoidably feel like not going to church. There's a, a little booklet that I found really helpful from a, a guy named Gunnar Gunderson. He's a pastor. He's actually a professor at a seminary part-time as well. And he's, he's trying to help people diagnose why they may not feel like going to church. And he's listed several reasons. I want to walk through them. I think they're helpful and important. Here's the first one. They're relational reasons. Relational reasons. Maybe you're having marital problems. And coming to church with your spouse feels hypocritical. It just doesn't feel right to sit together and worship together when you know you've been fighting at home. Or maybe there's a broken friendship with somebody in the congregation. And it's just awkward to go and to sit and to worship and to be in there when you know that there's this relational tension that's in the room. Maybe you've disagreed with one of the leaders of the church and there's, again, lasting tension Maybe you've been recently approached by a brother or sister who's corrected you in some sin in your life or rebuked you in some way, and being at church with them just sort of triggers anger or shame. Maybe you're a single person who wishes that you weren't single, or you're widowed, or you're childless, and it's hard to be around other people who have what you desperately long for. 
There's all kinds of relational reasons that can make us feel like it's just easier to stay home. It's just easier to stay away from the church gatherings. Some of those things I know are, they make you anxious. They can, they can bring severe anxiety and they can cause you to even be depressed. I'm, I'm acknowledging that. And I know that for some of you, it's like, I don't want church to be that place of all places that's the source of my discouragement. So it's just easier not to go. I get that. Secondly, there are logistical reasons. Sometimes just getting to church is challenging. Just getting here. Maybe you, maybe you recently had to move away a little bit further than you used to live, and so now it's an extra bus trip. It's an extra hassle of trying to drive and park, and, and it just takes more time. Maybe your work schedule varies. Maybe, you know, Saturday nights are sometimes late nights for you, or Sunday mornings you, you may get scheduled, or a Sunday afternoon, and it's just, it, it's logistically challenging. Maybe you travel a lot. All those things can infringe upon your Sunday mornings. Maybe you've got young kids. <laughs> and just managing the stroller and the diaper bag and the snacks, right? Navigating the nap times. How's this going to throw that off? And what's that going to mean for not only the rest of my day today, but my day tomorrow? Moms, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the amen, right? It can just seem like too much hassle. It can be hard. It can be exhausting. I get that. Maybe we don't feel like going to church because of preferential reasons. You don't like the music style. Sermon length is too short. No, I've never heard you say that. <laughs> too long. I mean, Bill, the Bears play at noon. Come on, you got 32 minutes, right? Maybe the seats are uncomfortable. Oh, I heard the amen on that one. I know you didn't say it out loud, but I heard it, right? Preferential reasons. I know those things can sometimes feel very nitpicky. But at the same time, they can cause real frustration that starts to gnaw on you. And again, they can pull your heart away from the church. How about doctrinal or missional reasons? Maybe you've got a particular doctrinal or missional priority that you feel like the church doesn't just really seem to share. By the way, I'm not talking about primary doctrine things like what is the gospel or Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Like If, if that's your issue, then if, you're, if, you, if you affirm those things and, and the church doesn't, you should find a new church, right? Um, if you don't affirm those things, then please come talk to me afterwards. I'd love to share more with you, but I'm not talking about major doctrinal issues. I'm talking about maybe secondary differences like the mode of baptism or the roles of men and women in leadership. Something where it's like, I'm just not quite on the same page with what I, I, I see the church, this particular church doing or the direction that they go. And maybe those differences are hindering you from connecting. Maybe those differences are hindering you from feeling like you can serve in a space like that. Or maybe you feel like you're just sort of out, out on the margins because of those differences. Maybe you have missional priorities that make you feel like your church is more on the sideline than the front line. 
And by the way, no matter what your missional priorities might be, like I want to, I'm, I'm all about serving the homeless. I'm all about, you know, addressing issues of, of sex trafficking or whatever it may be. Most often, your church isn't going to be as passionate about that as you are. And that makes it hard for you to be excited about church. How about this one? Transitional reasons. I think this one particularly affects people like us in highly transient churches like Edgewater, highly transient places like Chicago. Maybe your friends are moving away again. My friends keep moving. Nobody stays in the city more than two or three years. Why, when I'm tired of saying goodbye all the time, should I invest in new friendships? I'm just going to have to do it again. Or maybe the ministry that you were involved in here because of transitions in the church or in the neighborhood, maybe the ministry that you were passionate about is, is changing too, or maybe it's going away and being replaced with something else. That can make it hard. It can make me not feel like going to church. How about cultural reasons? Are you a blue-collar guy and you feel like you're surrounded by white-collar people? Maybe you're a racial minority and you feel like, I'm in a church where my, my, my status as a minority seems pretty obvious and I don't know if other people can really connect with my experiences. Maybe there's a language barrier that leaves you feeling like a cultural outsider. There's lots of cultural issues that exist that can make it hard to engage in church. And I think this last year, we felt some of those things even more than maybe we had before. There's recreational reasons. Hey, weekends are precious, right? They're prime time for hobbies. They're prime time for travel. They're prime time for sporting events or kids' activities. I mean, when else do I have time to get things done around the house? I need my, my weekends. When else can I go camping? When else can I enjoy the lakefront? I mean, did you see the weather out there today? My weekdays are so filled with work or school that when the weekend comes along, it's hard to prioritize church. Some of us don't feel like going to church because of past experiences. Maybe you've experienced spiritual abuse in the church. Maybe you've witnessed church scandals of some kind. Maybe you've been a part of a church split and those are painful. There are, there are painful experiences that happen in the life of a church. We are a family, right? Families have pain. Families have pain. And sometimes you might be complicit in that pain. And other times you're not. You're an innocent victim of other people's sin. But either way, there's real hurt that can make it hard to love a church. can make it hard to trust a church. And then hard to ever go to church. And finally, I want to bring up spiritual reasons. I think this is actually probably the most common and dominant reason. You're just in a dark place spiritually. I don't feel like going to church. 
I feel disconnected from God. I feel, I feel like uh, this is the last place I belong right now. Maybe Christianity has lost a bit of its luster. Maybe you're living in hidden sin. And you feel the weight of that. You feel the, the guilt of that when you're sitting in church and you're being uh, sort of uh, reminded regularly of the need to confess and repent and trust Christ. Your heart's not there. Maybe you're going through a dry spell as a believer. Maybe you've never experienced that before. You're a newer believer, and then all of a sudden you hit one of those rough patches, and it's like, ugh, church. I don't feel like it. Maybe you feel like the psalmist in Psalm 42. And actually, go ahead and turn to Psalm 42 if your Bible is nearby to you. I'm going to reference it a couple times here. Psalm 42. The psalmist in Psalm 42 is feeling spiritual uh, reasons why his feelings are all out of whack. And he says in verse 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you at turmoil within me? Maybe you resonate with that. I know that's a long list of things I just went through. But I wanted to highlight all of them because I think we need to think through the reasons that we don't always feel like worshiping in the church. I think it's important to to take the time to actually walk through each of those different common reasons because I want you to think about it and I want you to ask yourself the question, do I see myself in any of those? Have I heard that little inner voice on that? Yeah, that one. I've heard that one. Maybe you heard it this morning. I think it's an important thing for us to to walk through those things and to diagnose our own hearts. We need to examine our hearts. We need to diagnose our feelings. Why? Why? Because, not just to sit in our feelings, but because we need to be directed to the truth. We need to actually take our feelings, our thoughts captive and direct them to truth. But you can't do that if you haven't really diagnosed them. And that's what the psalmist is doing in Psalm 42. Look back again at verse 5 there. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you at turmoil within me? Look what he says immediately after lamenting that. He follows that honest assessment of his feelings with truth by telling himself, Hope in God. Why are you so cast down? Oh, feelings. Wait, grab on. Hold on. Hope in God. Hope in Him. I shall again praise Him. I don't feel like it right now, but I will. My hope, my salvation, my God. And he reminds himself then of the the soul, excuse me, the soul healing value of going to corporate worship and being with the people of God. Look at verse four. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. In other words, when I'm in this place of angst and I'm saying, oh, I'm so cast down, this is where I direct my thoughts. This is what I remember, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. 
What do I need to remember? The, the psalmist is a worship leader. He, he's a pastor, right? And he's saying, this is what I got to remember. When I'm, yeah, when I'm with the people of God, when we're in the house of God, when we're corporately worshiping together, when we're singing and we're joyful, that's what I need to remember. When my soul is cast down. Listen, our feelings are real. Your feelings are real and they are powerful. You know that. And they're often rooted in real heartaches and longings. So your feelings are real, right? However, they can also be really deceptive. Really deceptive. We cannot be ruled by our feelings because our hearts fail us. Our hearts fail us. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Turns out Darth Vader was on to something when he said, your thoughts betray you, right? Your thoughts betray you. When our thoughts are guided by our feelings, all sorts of soul-crushing, crippling things begin to happen to us. And listen, again, that is particularly evident in our current cultural moment. We live in a culture that is constantly telling us that how we feel defines who we are. How you feel defines who you are, which is why there is so much confusion about our identities. Think about that. We are told that we cannot rely on the most basic and obvious facts about ourselves and about life when they don't align with our feelings, and that is false. Where does it lead us? Well, mental health problems, depression, and suicide rates are skyrocketing, so it doesn't seem like that's leading us anywhere good. We need something better than to be ruled by our feelings. Look again at Psalm 42, verse 6. What does he say? He says again, My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you, God. I remember you. What do you need when your feelings begin to rule you and you begin to lose heart? You need to remember God. How do you remember God? You need the Word of God. You need discerning friends. You need God-given leaders to help point you to what is true, to what is constant, to what is life-giving. And where do you find all three of these things in the same place at the same time? The Word of God, discerning friends, and godly leaders who lead you to truth. You find them at the same place and the same time in the gathering of the church. Listen, we actually need the church most when we don't feel like going to church. All right, Hebrews 10. I kept hinting you we're going there. Go there now. Hebrews chapter 10. Somebody shout out a page number in a pew Bible if you get it. 1006? 7. 1007 if you're looking in that pew Bible. Hebrews 10. We looked at this earlier. Again, certainly one of the most explicit commands for consistent church going. 
Verse 24 and 25 of Hebrews 10, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, the day of the Lord, the the return of Jesus, right? As you see that day drawing near. There's the command, right? Don't neglect the gathering. Encourage one another all the more. But there's context for the command. And I want you to see the context here. It's very helpful when we don't feel like going to church. Chapter 10, the whole chapter here, begins by asserting that Jesus is the true and better sacrifice for our sins. Not like the Old Testament sacrifices, the animal sacrifices that continually had to be done over and over again. Jesus is the true and better sacrifice because the cross of Christ is sufficient to cover all of our sin. Once and for all. Do you see that in verse 1? For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. The old system couldn't do that, right? Look down at verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's you and me, the church, right? Those of us who are in Christ, we're being made holy. He has perfected us by a single offering. And, verse 15, the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declare the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts. I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. It's done. It's over. The cross has accomplished it. That's what the message here is as he opens up chapter 10. So he's reminding the church of their full assurance of forgiveness. He's reminding them that in Christ, you are clean, you are washed, you are new. This is the gospel that he's preaching to them. Do you see that? He's reminding them of the truths of the gospel. And it seems that some of the believers he's writing to have lost heart. They've grown weary. They've grown faint. And as a result, they're wavering in their consistency in gathering together on Sundays. That's why verses 24 and 25 are there. But listen to what the writer says to them in response to their losing heart after reminding them of gospel truths. Look at verse 19. He says, therefore, brothers, therefore mean what? Because I just told you what the gospel is. I just reminded you of of what Christ has done. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, because the gospel is true, because Jesus has finished this work, He's given us access to God. Be confident. In verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of our faith 
with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. See what he's doing? He's just saying, look, believe this gospel. Proclaim this gospel. Hope in this truth. He's faithful. It's done. He will do it. He's accomplished it. He's, 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 he's shoring them up in confidence. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. Remind each other of this. Stir one another up in confidently following Christ, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. What's the antidote for their failing hearts? They need to remember who they are in Christ by doing what? Look back down at verses 19 to 25. Look at the verbs there. What do they do when their hearts are failing? One, they draw near in confident assurance of their faith. Two, they hold fast to their common confession. Three, they stir one another up to love and good works. Four, negatively stated, they don't neglect the Sunday gathering. But in that gathering... They encourage one another with the hope of Christ's imminent return. That's the context of the command. What's the danger if they forget this? What's the danger if they begin to give up? They're in danger of throwing away their confidence. They're in danger of throwing away their assurance. Look down at verse 35. He says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But we are those who have faith and persevere preserve, excuse me, their souls. He's saying when, when, when we don't feel like it, we put ourselves in danger of losing our assurance, losing our confidence, right? We shrink back. But he's saying, no, come, be reminded, speak to one another, hear the teaching of the word, sing to one another these truths. Don't neglect the gathering so that you don't shrink back, but that you endure that you remain confident, that you grow. Are you shrinking back? Are you shrinking back from regularly gathering with the church on Sunday? Don't let your feelings destroy you. That's what we're just told will happen. Don't let your feelings destroy you. Again, we actually need the church most when we don't feel like going to church. Let me close by reading the final encouragements from Gunnar Gunderson. He's the guy who put that list together that we went through. I think this is a helpful charge to, say, to stay consistent in going to church. And I'm reading from the last three pages of his booklet, which is titled, What If I Don't Feel Like Going to Church? This is what he says. He says, ask for grace and go. 
I know you might not feel like it this weekend. You might not feel like it for a while. The reasons you don't feel like going to church may be good or bad or ugly. But as a fellow sheep loved by the same shepherd, I'm asking you to trust God, ask for grace, and go. Go because the church gathers every Sunday to remember the death of Jesus for our sins and the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And that's precisely what we all need to remember and celebrate regardless of what else is happening in our lives. Go because like Martha, you've been working all week. And like Mary, you need to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear His Word. Go because the songs of the saints are the soundtrack of the Bible. And your soul needs to sing and hear more than you'll ever know. Go because the Bible you'll hear tells the true story of the world. And the gathering of heaven's saints on earth is nothing less than the presence of the future. Go because the gifts Christ poured into you into your life don't come with a receipt. In other words, you can't give them back. He gave them to you for a purpose. And you have the happy duty to use these God-given tools to build up His spiritual house. Go because even though your church has problems, your church also has a Savior, a healer, a shepherd, a friend. Go because right there with you or somewhere far away, there's a brother or sister who's hurting or hungry or persecuted or imprisoned. And if your family, your church family is worshiping, so can you. Go because the world's been seducing your senses all week. But what you most need to see, hear, taste, and touch are the waters of baptism and the body and the blood of Christ. Go because the rest that you ultimately need is not just sleeping in or getting out of town, but rediscovering the Gospel's promise that in Christ you're forgiven, you're new, you're free. Go because the stone trapping you in the cave of anger or bitterness or despair or doubt or loneliness or fear can be rolled away in a night. And once God does that, no Roman soldier or Jewish priest can get in the way. Go because the good news of this gospel is not just that you are reconciled to God, but that we are reconciled to each other. Go not because your trials aren't real, but because the table with bread and wine represent the crucifixion of the worst sins that you could ever commit and the worst realities you'll ever experience. Go, and in your going, grow. Go, and in your going, serve. Go, and in your going, let God pick up the shards of your heart and piece together the kind of mosaic that only gets crafted when His saints stay committed to His long-term building project when we speak the truth to one another in love, as it says in Ephesians 4. The most important time to be at church is when you don't feel like it. So please, brothers and sisters, go to church.
Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this reminder. Thank you, Lord, that we can look back to the examples of our, uh, our forerunners, our brothers and sisters of ancient days, and know that our struggles aren't unique to us. That the, 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 the temptation to be ruled by our feelings is a, is a human condition, not just a modern condition. But Lord, I thank you that we don't have to be ruled by our feelings. And even more amazingly, Father, I thank you that it's not just truth that overcomes our feelings, but actually reforms our feelings and makes us feel joy. So I pray, Lord, that you would renew our joy. Lord, I'm thankful for the many faces who are here this morning. I'm thankful for the commitment of many to say this is fundamental to our identity as not just Christians, but as, as a family here at Edgewater. And Lord, we certainly pray for those who are legitimately unable to be with us, whether they're sick, whether they're, uh, they're stuck in some kind of a, a debilitating disease or chronic pain. We do pray, Lord, for your comfort and healing in their lives. We do pray, Lord, that we would be restored to get, again together. But I, I want to pray for those who are just having a hard time, that you would, you would just encourage us, Lord. And as we gather, Lord, that, that we would find tremendous encouragement because you've built us for this, Lord. You've built us to, to be built up and encouraged with the body. You've made Sunday morning central to that, to that work. So encourage us, build us up, bring us back. Be glorified in us, Lord. I thank you for the church and the blessing that the church is. I thank you that we are a part of a family. So Lord, just make us the family that pleases you and truly serves one another. May you be glorified in us and through us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.